Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And really, it's, it's really important for all of us to be interested in and involved in the overlap between culture and business because it's having a profound impact. Uh, and it becomes very political as well. And our guest today is going to be very uh, capable at, at uh, talking about this uh, topic. Jennifer Say, author of Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob, uh, took my job, but gave me my voice, which I think is an interesting, uh, interesting take. I, I love that title. Jennifer, welcome to the program. You were on track to become the first woman CEO of Levi Strauss and Company, and somewhere along the way, you got derailed. And uh, you know that's kind of ironic, considering uh, one of the uh, sacred cows of woke culture is the advancement of women. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, that is the case. Yeah, I've been at the company close to 23 years. That's Levi's. I started when I was 29 or maybe just 30 in 1999. I worked my way all the way up the ladder. I started entry level. Um, I was the brand president um, as of October 2020. But in um, earlier that year, in March of 2020, I started to uh, speak out about public school closures in my city of San Francisco. I was very concerned about the harm done, being done to the 50,000 largely low-income students in San Francisco who were shuttered at home. Um, I had a two-year battle with uh, my peers and my boss and the employees at Levi's as well as a dogged social media mob. And eventually in January 2022, I was told there wouldn't be a place for me at the company anymore. I was offered severance and a whole lot of money. Uh, hush money, I'll call it, because I would have had to sign a non-disclosure agreement if I were to collect the money, so I chose to quit instead so that I could tell the story. That's the wow. long and short And you told it relatively yeah. quickly because, because it happened, what, we're talking months ago, not years ago, and you have this book out, so you became very passionate about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I publicly resigned with a op-ed essentially on uh, Barry Weiss's Common Sense Substack. That was on February 14th. I, I technically resigned on February 13th, the day before, um, but then publicly announced it on February 14th. And I, um, I wrote the book this summer. I wrote it very fast um, in about two months, actually. So I was very busy this summer. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So basically your private life and the things you were concerned about with your family that went against the narrative of uh, the woke crowd uh, got you torpedoed, basically. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think it's important to note it wasn't just my family. I mean, certainly I was concerned about my own children who attend public schools, and I was the only one of my peers at this executive level um, who sent her kids to San Francisco public schools. Their kids had mostly returned to in-person private school in the fall of 2020. And so, you know, my kids have every advantage. It still was not ideal for them, you know, suffering from the isolation and the lack of peer contact. But I was really, con you know, 60% of San Francisco public school students are low income. They, you know, many kids at home alone, young children without a parent to help because maybe they're an hourly wage worker. Um, all sorts of, of, of problems for these children. They can't learn online. It's, you know, they disengage. And essentially, I felt like kids were being told, you're inessential. You don't matter. 
And this is not how we should treat children in this world. And of course now we've seen with all the data that's, you know, uh, playing itself out that this was catastrophic for this generation of children, both younger and older children. And I was very outspoken about it. And I, you know, I should I should mention it was disproportionately harming low-income children, black children, and and brown children. And these are the kids we said we cared about. So, you know, when we were making at Levi's all these pronouncements about fighting inequality, these are the children we said we wanted to help, and yet we, you know, were silent on this matter. Um, I wasn't, of course, but I was told that I needed to be. And so the hypocrisy just enraged me, and I didn't stop even when I was warned. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and, and my problem is with extreme thinking on any side. That's my problem. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it's so interesting how early on when we were fighting COVID in the United States, we didn't say it, but we almost treated like the China model as being uh, what what the United States should pursue, which is ironic sure. when you think about it, because because China has perennial problems. Uh, they have very little yeah. physical resilience because they haven't had much exposure to it. Uh, I can only begin to imagine the psychological trauma on the Chinese people. Uh, so it's so traumatic that they're willing to demonstrate against a government that has no problem crushing its people. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and the number of protesters were so effective that they are actually beginning to backtrack a little bit on some of those yeah. policies. But it's so funny because yeah. the hardcore progressives were all, you know, describing Chinese-type policies from the United States. Uh, but now I don't see any of them defending China's uh, approach going forward. Kind of interesting. I know it, it is, isn't it interesting? I can't tell you how many people I spoke with, you know, during 2020 and 2021. People who I thought of as reasonable people who sort of were begging for it to be more like China in the United States. They do it right. They know how to get this done. And as a reminder, China was literally stealing people in their homes. You couldn't even go out for food. Food was delivered sometimes, maybe, to your door. Pets who were suspected of having COVID were, were killed. House pets. <laughs> children, very young children, were separated from their, their families and put in these quarantine camps. And yet we had here people who I thought were reasonable people saying that's the real lockdown and that's the right way to do it. Now what we've seen, as you've just indicated, that people have had enough after this fire. Um, people were welded into an apartment building and couldn't leave and, and died in the fire. And now, of course, here in the States, everybody's standing with China. But And, and they say, well, we didn't have a real lockdown. Well, that's a real lockdown. That's what that is. There's no <laughs> way to do it unless it's enforced with actual police and military force because there will be people that resist. And so I... I would like to talk to some of these people and say, is that what you meant? Is that what you wanted? Yeah. Um, because people are not going to do it willingly, thankfully, um, you know, in this country. Not everybody was going to go along, though some people clearly wanted it. But, you know, I will say that as I um, criticize, you know, public health and government leaders for, for the harms being done to our children, it wasn't just schools, to be clear, playgrounds in my former city, San Francisco, play, outdoor playgrounds were closed for close to 10 months. Um, Two-year-olds were masked until um, the spring of this year. Two-year-olds learning to talk who can't even put their shoes on the right feet were, were forced uh, to mask in preschool. So I was, I was outspoken about the harms done to children. And, 
you know, behind the scenes at, at work, my peers and my boss were saying, you can't say these things, you can't do this. Um, when you speak, you speak on behalf of the company. And my, my you know, response always was, I don't. I'm a mom. I have kids. I have, I'm a citizen, first and foremost. So, you know, we just reached a point where, <laughs> um, you know, they felt that my outspokenness was, was, was too dangerous and a risk to their reputation, which I would refute because our business was uh, doing really, really well and there was no impact to the business. So, um, But as I went through that process, I became increasingly alarmed about um, censorship and the curtailing of free speech, and I just felt that it was that was the five-alarm fire, really, uh, that, that we were collectively being censored in this way to manufacture consensus, and so that's why I refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, well, where are you now? I mean, I, mean, I noticed you said you're a former city. Yeah. Well, I moved um, with two of my, my younger children. My, I have two older children who are living on their own in college and, and beyond. I moved to Denver in um, February of 2021 because the schools were open, and we wanted our young children to be able to attend school. and. Um, as one does, <laughs> and so we have yeah. temporarily, but then we moved uh, permanently. So I've been in Denver for, gosh, it's going to be coming on two years pretty soon. But it was a difficult choice. I'd lived in San Francisco for close to thirty-five years. Yeah, although it just, it, it's interesting to see the ex exodus from that. Uh, I hate to say once oh, great yeah. city. We used to go a lot. I have no desire to go. To be perfectly honest with you, it, it's become I so weird. Is uh, yes, go ahead. It is weird. No, you shouldn't. Go. It's, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, the the peaceful coexistence with homelessness, uh, you know, to the point where they have overrun it. And I, and this is not an anti uh, homeless person thing. Uh, we we have a family member who has had that situation and and uh, you know has had to work through that. It is a policy that actually fosters and encourages it that I have problems with and makes it uh, difficult for people who are not homeless to even be safe. Um, you know, that's, that's my problem. And, and a land use policy in California and particularly San Francisco that makes anyone vulnerable to homeless unless they're mega rich. How's yeah. that a progressive policy? Well, it's not. I mean, and it will become a city that is essentially super, super rich and homeless, and that's it, because nobody else is going to be able to afford it, and nobody else is going to want to stay. And it's, it's not – the inhumane policy is allowing people to live that way on the street, suffering, yeah. cold, addicted, mentally ill. That's inhumane. And somehow in the sort of woke world of San Francisco, if you – if you express any sort of concern about the significant homeless and drug issue, you're, you're the cruel one. Um, I mean, in my last yeah. few months in living in the city, I called 911 three times because I thought somebody within a block of my house was dead on the street from a drug overdose, and I was with my three-year-old daughter. That's not a way – that's not good for the person on the street. It's not good for me and my daughter. It's not good for anyone. All right. Yeah, that's just insane. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting that you're being attacked for wanting to get your kids back in school when for decades we've heard from progressives and wokes that the, the horrors and dangers of homeschooling. Yeah, homeschooling, only crazy people homeschool. Yet now it's government yeah. required. 
Yeah. I mean, it's insane. It is insane. And then, of course, you know, in the moment, if you were pushing to get schools open, not just for for your own kids, others, you were just, I mean, you're called, I was called, you know, a lazy yoga mom who just wanted to go to hot yoga and brunch, as if that's what I was doing. I was working (laughs) while trying to help my, um, my kids with their, you know, Zoom school, it, 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 but they called us every name they could think of. You know, I was called every name you can imagine, not just a lazy yoga mom, and I don't even like yoga, so that was ridiculous, but I was called a racist because if you wanted schools to open, you didn't care if black children died. I was a eugenicist, a teacher murderer. I was anti-trans. I was anti-everything because they just, that's the way that this mob will silence you. And and they saw very quickly that I would not be silenced, but it certainly had a chilling effect, um, and others were reluctant to speak out and join me <laughs> because they didn't want to be called those terrible names, which make you quite unemployable, I should add. Yeah, and you, you know, your, your statement about it being eventually just a city for rich people. My, I, I have uh, two sons, one's just started a startup, uh, but he was a senior programmer at Google, and we'd go visit him. Uh, another one of my sons is, is still with Google, so I speak with caution. <laughs> but but it, it's interesting where, we, you know, we would go visit him in, like, Palo Alto. Uh, my, my son, um, uh, who's now got a startup, we'd visit him in Palo Alto, and, you know, we would go to, like, uh, Starbucks or we would go to, um, you know, grocery store or whatever. And you did, I'm one of these type, like, the startup-friendly conversations. And it was interesting how anyone who worked in any of those locations were not from there. They didn't live there. They got there really early in the morning, and they left really late at night or got home really late at night, uh, often an hour, an hour and a half away, providing for these mega-rich people. You know, and it reminded me of one of the very first sci-fi movies, uh, Metropolis. You know, where you have this whole underclass living under the city who comes up to serve the city during the day. And I'm like, this is the antithesis of progressivism. It really is. And that's what, you know, you you just put it so well. I think the whole thing has been the antithesis of progressivism. And people ask me all the time, because I I used to describe myself as left of left and center, very progressive. People think I've been red-filled. I'm like... No, I actually think I'm staying true to the values I always believed in, but I'm loyal to principle, not party. And I do believe in equality of opportunity, which is why I was so incensed by this, because it was the the, the children with the least that were harmed the most, and let's not forget that children were always at very little risk from the virus. And it's not just children. It's, it's as you, we've created this underclass. It's, we've seen the largest upward transfer of wealth ever in the history of this country. Um, and there is this sort of unholy alliance between sort of government, corporations, and the press, this sort of band of elites that further this one message and silence and demonize anyone who speaks out against it. And, I mean, if you go out still, I don't, I don't know where you live, but if you go out in San Francisco still, you know, the patrons in restaurants sit and revel and have fun unmasked, and all the staff are still masked. There's like a clear symbol of, what class you are. If you are in the servant class, you are masked, serving those with money. It's, it's grotesque, and to your point, it's, it's the opposite of what I thought it meant to be a progressive. You know, it's the opposite. I thought we wanted progress for everybody, but apparently not. So I've abandoned Yeah, it's, 
it's very elitist. It's very, very elitist. Yes. And it's like, uh, yeah, we take care of you as long as, you know, that you being the lower income people, as long as you stay in line. And, and taking care of right. is almost in the form of like pets, not in the form of humans yeah. who actually want to be right. upwardly mobile, which is the, right. you know, what this country's narrative historically was all about. I mean, it just makes me, it blows my mind. And by the way, I'm, a traditional conservative historically who has become increasingly libertarian. I think both sides are ridiculous, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, and are very, I uh, you. Yeah, I, you know, they're, they're motivated. But, you know, the old conservative saying is, what is a conservative but a liberal that's been mugged? Well, what's a libertarian? Well, they're the ones who figure out who's doing the mugging. It's the elites. It's the rich. It's the government. Yeah. And we see that across oh, the board. I think there are a lot of, lot of uh, liberals who find themselves more libertarian over time for the same reason yeah. as conservatives. And so, yeah. okay, so what do you do I, now? I'm with you. Well, right now I wrote this book, which I hope folks will check out. It really is, you know, it's a memoir, and I, I hope it inspires people to stand up and use their voices because – you know, my, my realization over the last few years is the only thing that protects this right that I thought we valued of free speech is more speech. So, you know, there's yeah. so many folks writing me and saying, thank you for saying something I can't because, which is exactly the reason why you have to. So hopefully it provides a little bit of inspiration there. So I'm out talking to folks like you about the book, and I'm making a documentary film about um, the children who were kept out of school for a year plus and, and how they're doing now, kind of the harms from prolonged school closures. That's what I'm doing now. Um, that'll take me about, you know, another year, and then I'll figure out what's next for me. I don't know. The way you wrote that book, we could see it next month. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I love books that uh, I've written a few books myself, my best books, took weeks to write, not months to write. You know, they were they were almost like birth, birthing. It was there. Uh, yeah. It's not, yeah. not, certainly not years to write. It, it's never been a labor. Yeah. And it, clearly this was a birthing for you. And uh, very exciting. I can't wait to hear about the documentary. Look forward to hearing about where you're going to place it, you know, who, who's going to air it. Uh, but this is so timely and so needed. And uh, we need more voices. And, and it's a very, very trying time right now because, let's face it, both the left and the right are very anti-free speech. You've got that now in yeah. both major parties. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just a question of, uh, you know, right now they do it for different reasons. If they ever get an agreement on why they should have a curtailment of free speech, God help us all. Yeah. Oh, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it is so urgent that we, you know, if we actually believe in democracy, we've got to stand up and use our voices now because it will be too late soon because it's being encroached upon from both sides. And it's not just democracy, it's truth. If we can't have these open conversations and normalize dissent and debate again, we are just living in the dark and we're accepting, you know, propaganda as truth. And I, for one, won't do it, but um, I'm hoping others join the fight. Jennifer, thanks so much for being with us. Jennifer, say, best place to get your book. I'm assuming it's everywhere, but uh, you want to suggest anywhere in particular? Um, I think two places. You can go to Amazon, of course, always on Amazon. There's an e-book and a hardcover, and there, there will be an audio book this week, which I narrated. And you can also, some people prefer to go direct to the publisher, and that is at levisunbuttoned.com. Yeah, got to check that out. Uh, one of the most iconic brands, and 
to see it being used as a political football is really quite sad. Jennifer, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.